to the Uproom Frisco podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit uproomfrisco.com. You know, um, as we were going into prayer, I was just mentioning how um, you know, we're, a, we're a happy we're a happy, clappy kind of church. We, we love to worship the Lord big. We love to celebrate what he's done. We believe that there's a party going on in heaven. And as we're praying that uh, his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, part of that, an element of that is that an atmosphere of celebration overtakes our hearts, right? It overtakes the room. We, the, the party in this room begins to look a lot like the party that's going on in heaven because the lamb is triumphant. There is one who is worthy, right? To open the scroll, to loose its seals. He ransomed nations, people from every nation by his blood. Like he is triumphed. Uh, He was dead, he is alive, and he is alive forevermore, which is the reason why we have such a hope. We have the resurrection, the ultimate resurrection of the dead, which is we are going to experience. Everyone who has fallen asleep in the Lord will be caught up again in him. It's just like very, very exciting news. Um, but I, like we're still in this world, aren't we? We're, uh, we're in the world, but not of the world. And we're sent out like sheep among wolves. And Jesus says very heartwarming things like in this world, you'll have troubles. I say heartwarming, tongue-in-cheek. I'm not trying to be sarcastic, but it's just that he is promising us that things get hard. Um, But he says, don't fear, fear not, because I've overcome the world, and his victory is our victory, amen? So, um, you know, what's... uh, the violence that's happened recently is, is very painful. We have a nation in mourning, and um, mourning with them looks a lot of different ways, but it should look a few certain ways. And even though Uvalde is 380 miles away from, from Frisco, and, and I, I personally don't know anyone in this body that has been affected um, by that tragedy, although I know um, uh, Mo is from Buffalo, and we know what's happened in Buffalo, and we just... Our hearts go out to every, every family member, everyone that's been affected in Buffalo. And, um, but we don't know personally people who have been affected in Uvalde. Um, and so we haven't, to the same degree, experienced the loss that they've experienced. And, and today I, I want to talk about loss and tragedy and processing things like this um, as a saint, as a person who has a, a heavenly perspective, but it's not my intended goal to drum up some kind of emotional response. Lord knows I don't need it. I've been, <laughs> I've been in tears uh, every day this week as I'm reading things that have happened or as I go into prayer with the Lord. Um, but even though we are, a, you know, like I said, a jokingly, a happy, clappy church that loves to celebrate what God has done. I believe that I would be remiss just to hit the fast forward button or to not address this or to to blow past it. Um, I want to address this situation um, not because I know that there are people in the room who are directly affected, but because I know there are people in this room, all of us, all of us will experience loss. All of us will have 
one tragedy or another in varying degrees of uh, intensity touch our lives. I know that there are people in this room right now, in this moment, that are having the worst season of their life. And I know that there are people in this room right now, in this moment, that are having the best season of their life. And the wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit is that when he shows up, he meets us where we're at. And so everybody gets ministered to. But I, <clears throat> I want to, um, you know, highlight what's, what's going on. And, um, and if you are experiencing loss or tragedy or if your heart is as heavy as mine for what's happened uh, in our state, um, I hope that you just feel the closeness of the Lord today. That's my hope, that we would be reminded that He's close to us, and um, often we Christians, uh, we try to offer simple answers to very complex problems. I, I know this because I've, I've done it, and it often doesn't work. Complex problems usually have really complex uh, solutions, and well-intended, we often quote verses trying to make sense of tragedy, and sometimes we even offer our condolences in the form of fairly empty platitudes. And it's often not helpful, and, and, but I, I get it because I've absolutely been there. I've been the person who has talked to someone who's uh, experienced the worst moment of their life, and I don't know what to say, but for some reason I start saying something. And it's, it's as if we've been programmed to always have an opinion. Or we've been programmed to, to know that we're always supposed to have a response uh, or to give out truths that have never been tested in our own lives. When stuff like this happens, <clears throat> I don't want in any way for us to re-empower a disempowered enemy. We don't live in reaction to the devil. We live in response to the Father, which is the way Jesus lived his life. He modeled it for us. When he encountered things, he often had a very out-of-the-box response for situations that he ran across. But what, what, is it, what do I mean when I say we give out truths that have never been tested in our own lives? What does that mean? Because I know it, it, it sounds like a kind of an evocative or prov provocative statement, but what I'm trying to say is that there's a difference between information and impartation. We might be able to say a truth that act, isn't actually part of us. We can't impart something that isn't already part of us. It comes off sometimes as, as tone deaf or detached from the actual suffering of the individual. It's almost like um, until you've walked through the valley of the shadow of death, and Psalm 23 has been the only anchor for your help. Psalm 23 becomes the only bearing on our compass. Psalm 23 becomes the only light in our darkness. Until I can look back at the valley 
that I just walked through and see how he was with me in it until I've been brokenhearted and felt how close he is to me, the brokenhearted, until I've been crushed in spirit and felt him save me. Often silence is the best. Silence is powerful. I I heard a quote the other day from an old church father, one of our saints of old, who said, silence is God's first language. And that's the reason I started our prayer today in, in silence. Silence is something that's, it's beyond meditation. It's non-participatory stillness. We play no role in silence. We get to uh, <clears throat> sit there. And it gives God a chance to actually say something and, and show up and we get to be still. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm all verklempt. <laughs> we get to be still and know that, uh, that he's God. And I don't know if we can really know that he is God until we have actually really been still. I mean, can we really appreciate what he's done until we understand that we play no role in it? Can we really appreciate the salvation that he's won for us until we understand that we've contributed zero effort into it? That it's not by works so that no man can boast, which means that stillness is, is uncomfortable, it's voluntary weakness, it's a moment where we say, I've got nothing and you've got everything. Many years ago, before I was married and I was at ministry school and living in an an apartment with some friends, um, I'd moved in in the fall and lived there through the winter and springtime had sprung. It was uh, the warmest, the first warm week of the year and I woke up this one Saturday morning and I heard the Holy Spirit say, take a walk with me. And so I put on my tennies because I heard the Lord and I go out the door, I'm like, where are we going, Holy Spirit? You know those mornings, you know, when you just feel like God's got something special for you. And so I just start walking around this large apartment complex and, and I see this long line of bushes and I'm walking along. It's, it's a, one of those bushes that's, you know, like a <clears throat> hundred yards long and 10 feet high and it's as thick as a, as a wall. You can't even see through it. And, I'm walking along it, and I begin to hear the sound that I'm familiar with from, from growing up in Michigan. There's a lot of swamps in Michigan, and I hear, a, like, the sounds of a swamp. And, you know, like, it's all the crickets and frogs and, like, life, you know, the whole, like, ecosystem springing to life at the first, like, warm week of, of spring. And as I'm walking along this line, long line of bushes, it gets louder and louder and louder and louder. And I'm trying to find a way through the bushes, and and I and I take a few more steps, and there's this like, there's a there's a hole that's like a foot and a half, two feet high, and it's shaped like a like an arch doorway. And I look at that like the hole in the bushes, and I think, 
Narnia's on the other side of this thing. So, like, <clears throat> so I get down low and I crawl through this passageway, through this wall of bushes, and I come to the other side and there's this green little pasture here, a uh, green little plot of, of sod next to this enormous swamp I didn't even know was there because it's our, my first spring at this place. And the sound just filled up my senses like a John Denver song. <laughs> Come on, John Denver. <laughs> you light up my senses. <laughs> I light in the forest. So anyway, I'm sitting on the edge of this swamp and the sound is amazing. It's just like, it's deafening. It's every, it sounds like every pitch of nature is this like, and, um, and I sit down, and I'm like, this is the perfect place just to commune with the Holy Spirit. And, I, and within myself, I just, I just utter, like, Holy Spirit. And within, and as soon as I did this, the whole swamp goes completely quiet. I get covered in goosebumps. And I hear the Lord say, um, if you would silence your soul for me, I'll silence all of creation to speak. <clears throat> Can you guys open to Psalm 23? This psalm has... Uh, come alive again to me in new and deep ways this week. Our Monday prayer set was singing incredible lines about the valleys and the mountains. Weren't you, Amanda? Out of Psalm 23. And then our Tuesday set, unbeknownst, <laughs> we had no idea what Monday was singing, but our Tuesday set began singing straight out of Psalm 23 also. And, and even that, that line today, the the mountains only beautiful because you can see the valley from the heavens that came out of the Tuesday set. And, um, let's read it together. Can you put it up on the screen? There's just something sacred about uh, saints reading scripture together, right? You know, like all around the world, there are probably saints reading this psalm, like right now or around, you know, this Sunday all, all around the world. So let's read it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Oh. <laughs> we skipped right to Psalm 24. <laughs> All right, let's go. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
You know, for me, um, the, the crux of Psalm 23, the, the part of it that is like rocking my world, um, it's like the, the key verse for me right now is it's not about the valley, which is amazing. It's not about the, the green pastures. It's not about him preparing a table for me. It, it, it isn't that goodness and mercy are going to follow me all days, all my days. It's, it's that part where it says, for you're with me. I mean, that's, um, that's the, the, the linchpin, the most important part of the psalm for me in, in this season is that the valley, the, those still waters and the green pastures and the paths of righteousness, the valley, it's, it's all just about him being with us through it all. Which means to me, like, as you're reading this, this journey, it's almost like a journey that the psalmist is going through, listing these places that he's, he's walked, he's experienced, and, and knowing that God's been with him through it all. To me, I, I believe that begins to show us uh, the heart of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, Jesus in his incarnation and the way that he lived his life, the way that he died and ascended, is that he... There's no part of the human experience that he hasn't filled with his presence and glory. Every bush is ablaze now with the glory of God. He was tempted and scorned. He was a man of sorrows, anointed with the oil of joy. At the same time, he was considered cursed, but also was praised. He experienced the, he tasted the highest highs and, and the lowest lows so that we would know he knows that he is a sympathetic high priest, that he was tempted in every single way, that he has experienced firsthand every single thing that any one of us might ever go through. If you've, uh, if you've been here for a while, you, there's no doubt you've heard me preach out of Psalm 22 and how it perfectly shows that uh, the crucifixion, it prophesies everything that Jesus walked through right from the very get-go, my God, my God, to, you know, they, they pierced my hands and feet. They surround me like dogs and strong bulls of Bashan. And then this incredible verse where it says that, that God has not hidden his, his face from him all the way to the very last verse where it says he has completed it, which is what Jesus says on the cross, it is finished. And so this is, it's this incredible prophetic psalm of Jesus facing the hardest moment in his life and facing down death, facing, embodying the very accusations of humanity against God. It, he is as fully man and fully God. At that point, he is absorbing all the violence. He's absorbing all the violence. And then Psalm 23, which we just read, picks up with Jesus. You know, after the, the crucifixion being led through that valley of the shadow of death. What the enemy didn't know is that a table was being prepared. And then when you come into Psalm 24, there's something special that happens. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but Psalm 23 doesn't mention a mountain. There's no hill talks about the valley. Can you put Psalm 24 up? This is verse three. 
It says, right after the valley, who may ascend the hill? Who can go up that mountain? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. And then if you skip down to verse seven, it says, lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors. The king of glory shall come in. I used to look at that verse and think, man, I really got to figure out how to have clean hands and a pure heart. Anybody else? There's nothing wrong with that. Um, of course, raise your hand if you've ever dirtied your hands. <laughs> keep, them, keep them up. Keep them up if you've ever operated out of impurity. Have you ever lived in idolatry? Have you ever been deceitful? So who is it that walked up that mountain? We couldn't walk it. What I believe happened is that through the valley, through the death, through the paths of righteousness. He, who, how did we walk on paths of righteousness without him making us holy? He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we would become the righteousness of God, that we are now the holy ones. Like, we can't walk on paths of righteousness. He did it. He gathered us up from the lowest places. Even the grave. And in Ephesians 2, 6, it says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus. Beloved, there is a mountain and we were carried there. Amen. Did anyone in here seat yourself in heavenly places? <laughs> uh. You know, the, the, the mountaintops, the, the high peaks in, in nature, there, there's no streams there. If you're, like, if you're above the tree line, there's, there's no green pastures. It's, it's kind of cold and lonely and a little bit, it's a little bit scary in a good way. You know, you got that adrenaline flowing, but it's the most beautiful view you've ever seen. It's rewarding, it's fulfilling. You reach that, that high moment. But what are you looking at? You're looking at the thing you just walked through. And the reason it's beautiful now is because you saw that the Lord was with us at every part of it. Those moments when you couldn't see past the trees, you're now seeing that's where he directed me. That moment where like it was too hard to go on, you're, that's where he carried me. The moment where you lost the path, like that's where he was my compass. <laughs> 
When you're on those high points in, in life, when you have these big breakthroughs, these moments, these emotional highs, these, these moments of, of clarity and reward, the reason they're so powerful is because you are seeing the hardest parts of your life from heaven's perspective. So here's what I know. I, I don't want to make any big spiritual platitudes and try to figure out what's going on in the world or how to, how to fix it. Here's what I do know, that he's walking through the valley of the shadow of death with the people in Uvalde and Buffalo. He's carrying them. He's close to the brokenhearted. He's saving those crushed in spirit. But he... Because he is a good shepherd who never abandons. We do know that there will be an ultimate resurrection from the dead, and we do know that he will wipe away every tear from our eye. I'd like to receive uh, communion together with you. There, I think there were communion cups on a lot of the chairs, but does anybody need one. Can you come up, Ethan, and play keys? Thank you. Here you go, Kevin. There's no hurry. We've got plenty of time. I, I want to make sure everyone has a, the elements that wants to take communion today. You know how um, there's a there's a law that a person can't be president of the United States until the, I think it's 45. You have to be at least 45 years old. 35. I think it's because um, whoever's in that role, they they want we want them to have gone through a few things in life, right? 
<laughs> They're old enough to have experienced heartbreak. They've probably buried a friend. They've had setbacks and they've had ups and downs and they're sympathetic with the people of the nation. They don't make decisions rashly because they know what kind of heartbreak that it could bring because they've experienced that kind of heartbreak. And Jesus, far above and beyond any political figure, is our sympathetic high priest who experienced everything that we could have experienced. He learned obedience through what he suffered. He firsthand knows what it's like when we go through anything and, and his body was broken for us. He even received the, upon his flesh one of the, if not the worst, one of the worst ways anyone could ever die. On the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and after he broke it, he gave thanks for it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Every time you gather together, do this in remembrance of me. So go ahead and take and eat his broken body. like manner he took the cup and after he blessed it gave thanks he said this is my blood and poured out for the remission of sins it's the blood of the new covenant let's drink the cup together Jesus thank you for your sacrifice resurrection and your ascension. Thank you that we are irrevocably joined to you in the mystical union. We thank you that the communion expresses some of the gravity of this incredible reality, but we ask God that you would make it even more clear to us tangibly that we would experience your closeness we would know that we are with you and that you are with us through every valley and that you are the one who carried us up the mountain. In Jesus' name, amen.